A warm welcome to Questions Worth Asking, a podcast where we capture and translate wisdom from multiple disciplines in order to fuel the next generation of changemakers. Hello, welcome to Questions Worth Asking. This is Season 1, Episode 2, and I'm Priya. And I'm John. We thought we would start this episode with a check-in. In a check-in, what you normally do is say a few words about what's present for you or what you're thinking or feeling, just what you're sort of bringing into the conversation to get things started. So Priya, what might be your check-in for today? So my check-in is probably related to my reflections on recording episode one. I listened to it back just recently. It's been about a week since we recorded it. And I guess I am noticing the kind of judgy part of me come in. So I was quite critical about my voice and the ums and ahs and did I say this right is that what I really meant there was a lot of kind of self analysis going on I think for me that's that's definitely what I'm slightly conscious of coming into um episode two what about you understood thanks for sharing I'm in a very similar place judgmental I uh noticed my words around being born and raised in Washington, D.C., and living in multiple countries. So I'm sort of, it's almost like it was a stretched truth or not quite accurate. I'm not sure what's going on for me there. More accurate would be to say I'm born and raised in the Washington, D.C. area, as opposed to inside the city limits. And living in multiple countries, I've really lived in two countries. So I'm not sure if that's, I guess it is multiple, but I don't know. For me, there's something about trying to be clear and uh, as truthful, and I guess, frankly, forgiving myself a little bit when it's not as precise or accurate as I might trying to be with my words. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. It sounds like we're, we, we're, we've had similar reflections, albeit slightly different content, but the theme um, of kind of self-watching, kind of you know, judgy stuff seems to be quite similar for both of us. I bet it's uh, in the human condition. Probably happens quite <laughs> Probably, a bit. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if you can do stuff like this and not feel a bit self-conscious. The thought of you know our peers, colleagues, clients listening to it and um, not loving it as much as we love it or want people to love it is a scary thought, right? It's part of the fears that we talked about in episode one. It is there, and it's maintaining that balance of wanting to be informal and have a conversation and yet at the same time knowing this is out there and somewhat permanent and just available so here we are practicing in real time and here we are for episode two ready (laughs) ready absolutely where should we go in episode two i think we've titled the episode something about definitions or i think it might be what is organization development and does it rehumanize the workplace. So what if we start with the the definition side? I'm thinking about definitions for all these fields we've talked about, organization development, applied behavioral sciences, coaching, knowledge management, diversity and inclusion, any sort of upfront definitions we want to try and have a, a shared understanding of those. So start with organization development, I guess. How would you describe OD? 
I'm gonna I'm gonna actually pass that one back to you if that's okay. <laughs> sure. sure. Uh, the re- the reason I'm gonna pass that back to you is because I have an analogy that I want to share. Um, for it just came to me today about what organizational development means to me. But I think the uh, a more technical definition coming first would be appropriate. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to go first on that one if that's okay. Fair enough. I appreciate that. I did uh, reflect on. We tried to do a bit of an ad hoc definition. Uh, in in episode one, and I think that was also part of my not feeling as great as I would have liked to about how that came out. Um, so I've put a little bit more thought into a definition of OD, and yet still I think it's it's so different for every person and every situation. But there are three pieces for me that do jump out nearly every time. One being boldly revealing the system to itself. We may need to say the human system, but it does mean groups and individuals and uh, sort of noticing what's going on in that group, both for ourselves and multiple levels of system. So inside an individual, between two people, subgroups, the full group, even beyond the group, and, and revealing that to it. There's something in OD about boldly revealing the system to itself. Self-organizing, that's what I tried to talk about in episode one, that individuals, subgroups, groups, teams, organizations are self-organizing, and OD is there supporting, optimizing, watching, observing, working with self-organizing individuals and groups. And then the third and final bit would be use of self or self as instrument, as Dr. Mayan Chen Judge calls it. Without going into much detail on that, uh, her language is is sort of uh, being in flow, being in the flow with yourself and what's going on around you. Um, probably just for now leaving it at that, but understanding yourself and realizing that you're an instrument as part of the team, as part of the group. What's the metaphor you may have come up with, Priya? <laughs> this came to me today. I went to a yoga class today and the instructor Uh, was talking about breathing into the movement and I started to reflect so my background of my career was in HR um, and international HR before I specialized in organizational development and I realized that actually yoga is almost like the um, a really good metaphor and I think that OD is the yoga of the people world the HR world um, because it is really concerned with awareness about helping a system to be more aware of itself, its patterns, its processes, its ways of, its kind of patterns of being. And actually you only increase um, a system's awareness or a team's awareness about themselves really through increasing your own awareness of yourself. Because if you cannot see yourself, you're unlikely to be able to see what's going on in a system. And that's, to me, is the heart of use of self. You know, am I fully aware of myself so I can be fully aware of the system um, and and choose to intervene or to um, touch or to you know ask d- different questions at different times, and so I think for me organizational development is exactly that. It's it's yoga. It's moving with a movement, um, or being or sorry, not moving with movement. Being aware, having awareness through whatever movement that you're trying to do. There's so many words that pop up for me as you're saying that. Uh layers, levels, masks, personas, group dynamics, things that I'm sure we'll we'll come back to time and time again on on the podcast, but if that makes sense there are multiple things going on at any given time and 
we're trying to be aware and notice those things. Moving with awareness, right? There it is. Do you like that? Okay, it came to me today in my yoga class. I thought I must tell John. I like it. I know in uh, Use of Self, there's something similar. Um, I think it's Ram Das talks about, uh, I'm not my thoughts. I'm not my emotions. I am the seer of those thoughts and emotions. Mm, I exactly. Am, exactly. And I am loving awareness, I think are his words. So yes, the, the movement, the flow, the awareness, I, I can appreciate that. So then how about applied behavioral sciences or coaching? Which one jumps up for you first? Um, so you went first, let me, let me jump in and and have a go. Um, so I guess any field of applied behavioral sciences, so psychology, psychodynamics, whatever, whatever school of thought there is within, um, applied behavioral sciences, what they're trying to do essentially is take an observation about humans, both within them and between people. So within my own mind, but between me and other human beings and give us, those learnings in the form of insights in the form of models in the form of um, frameworks um, a really popular one just to kind of give an example of how it's used is the um, when you start a new job um, everyone talks about you know your unconscious incompetence then your conscious incompetence and how you move through that flow is an example of a, a beh- applied behavioral science Um, So, you know, you and I between us are interested in many different schools of thought, which is why we haven't tried to contain ourselves down to one of those. But anything that tries to explain human behaviour and relationships, we will throughout these seasons and throughout these episodes try to borrow from them and kind of, you know, use them to illustrate um, whatever it is that we're talking about that day. Does that does that feel like does that feel right for applied behavioral sciences? Makes sense to me. Uh, applied is the big word that jumps out for me, and multi multidisciplinary. So all the different fields and disciplines you mention, yeah, there's quite an interest for me, I think from both of us, on all these different fields, and it's the application of those fields. So it's both, it's this blend of academic study, research, data, metrics, and then applying it to myself or a team or an organization or a client whatever the the situation might be that that application word really jumps out for me absolutely and i guess one of the um things that comes out of um the field of applied behavioral sciences is coaching um which to me is just a way of having a conversation and and that's really all it is it's it's the way of having a conversation what I think sets it apart or the definition that we'll be working with is it's a way of having a conversation where I as the coach do not take responsibility for solving whatever it is. What I'm trying to do is increase the coachee's um, own learning, their own awareness about what's going on. And I'm the facilitator of that learning. What I'm not doing is trying to take responsibility for it, to solve it, to fix it. Um, I'm all about trying to create the increase the individual's agency, not not my own. In fact, one of the um, in my own coaching practice, one of the things I always say to myself, it's my little mantra before I'm going into a coaching session, is the mind that has the problem is the mind that has the solution. And I say that to myself a lot. And when I'm teaching, it's it's one of the things I always say to people when you're going into a coaching conversation hold on to that belief you know the mind that has the problem is the mind that has the the, the solution the way forward 
Um, and that's really what coaching is for me, a way of having a conversation that holds that belief at the heart. I do appreciate that one. And I have heard you say it a couple of times, the mind that has the problem is the mind that has the solution. I also heard you say individuals agency. I often think of individuals potency is another sort of similar word that we would use. Yeah, nice. And then coaching, I also often think of coaching and mentoring. And if I get them straight, uh, the mentoring side is more and this is not always true, but there's something that makes it easy for me to sit with it. The mentoring side is more of providing answers. There's a mentor, a protege, mm. an apprentice, and the mentor sort of has answers or solutions or recommendations, something to tell the other person. Whereas on the coaching side, I think more of questions. I think of more, like you say, the the, the person you're working with or talking to has all this, understands the problem the best, has their own best solutions. We're working to to uncover them or reveal them together. Yeah, Sim similar to OD, right? When you're trying to reveal the system to itself, very similar theme um, in coaching, actually. And the other one, which is your field, so um, maybe you should kick us off, is knowledge management or KM. I do love KM. You <laughs> do love it KM. It's your nerd subject, right? I, I enjoy it quite a bit. <laughs> Practiced it quite a bit. Always still practicing. Uh, knowledge management, where do you start? So... I will say something very similar to yesterday to the prior episode saying, talk to 100 different knowledge management practitioners, probably get 100 different definitions of KM. So it's, it's a newer field, might be worth mentioning. 1995, 1996 is about the accepted time frame when KM sort of was born as a field or a discipline compared to what, mid-1940s for OD. So there are decades yeah. less of experience in KM. For me, two or three things jump out again for the definitional side of, of KM, if definitions help. For me personally, one that has stuck for years is optimize the flow of knowledge. And it's that each word is important, and I realize optimize is not always the best word. It's a little tricky. But the flow word, as difficult as that is too, it, it is a very purposeful word in that Often knowledge gets stuck or information gets stuck inside one file or one document or one person. So knowledge management, that moniker of management often is not even quite right. That's mm. one of the struggles is the whole name of the field. Mm. Maybe it should be fluid knowledge or knowledge dynamics or something like that. But there's the, the flow we're trying to do with all these different approaches, tools, techniques that we use. There's an entire knowledge life cycle that's related to KM. So things like identifying knowledge, creating knowledge, capturing knowledge, organizing knowledge, sharing knowledge, applying knowledge. It's a huge life cycle. Um, each one of those areas has almost its own specialties and approaches and mindsets that come with it, which then for me brings up a couple of the popular phrases we use in knowledge management in case this helps definitionally. Uh, a phrase such as, Connecting those who know with those who need to know is a is an angle, is a perspective of what knowledge management's trying to do. Or sometimes you hear, no one of us is as smart as all of us. That's another relatively popular knowledge management phrase. And the final thing I might say is people process technology. Um, in the, the knowledge management realm, knowledge management is often blurred with information management. So once something is documented, written down, or frankly, even spoken, 
that's more information management. Whereas knowledge, there is the information management aspect to it, and there's what we call a tacit knowledge side, which is really just sort of embodied within myself. Um, how do we get what's inside each one of us flowing as best we can around a group or, of course, an organization? So people or culture or process, people or behaviors or culture is enabled by process, and process is enabled by technology and being aware of the sort of levels of KM. Does that make sense? Does that help? Did I, did it, I go? It does. It, it really does. I am um, remembering, because uh, I did my master's dissertation on KM like a you know, million years ago, and I remember two things really struck me. One was about KM is really about how an organization learns and how it, how it um, walks that path between data and wisdom and then what happens to that wisdom. So how does an organization learn something and take that insight and how long does it last? What does it do with it? What are the social processes that underpin that? What are the technological processes, as you say? So it's a, you know, it's a fascinating field. It's not one I've really worked in formally, but it's a, it's a really interesting field, I think. So how about diversity and inclusion? I think this is almost subconsciously (laughs) (laughs) lower the white male to the brown woman. (laughs) Exactly right. I think this is the one that is challenging, intimidating, and for me, the least practiced, although just so many projects and conversations in the DNI space. Yeah. If I try, I like your metaphor, I, I read one recently that said diversity and inclusion, the diversity side is similar to being invited to a dance or getting tickets to a a dance. Uh, Whereas inclusion is once you're at the dance, someone actually walking up and inviting you to physically dance together. So tickets to the dance versus invited to actually stand up and dance, diversity and inclusion. Does that make any sense? Or how about what's DNI for you? so 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 your your definition really works for me because i think this is this is the you know something i feel really passionate about very recently so i probably have worked in the dni space for a couple of years but in the last 18 months i'd say it suddenly really really started to kind of make sense to me at a much deeper level so i'm sure we will do an episode devoted to this but the the your dance analogy makes sense because you you can have diversity and it, and not have inclusion and i think that's the key point you know we could have um there's an article that refers to it a noah's ark approach you know two gay people two you know people of um you know from poland uh, six people who are disabled five people from england you know you could you could kind of have a noah's ark approach to having a, a diverse mix of people in a team but if there isn't inclusion you're never going to leverage the benefits of that diversity so although we use them together they are two separate things um, and inclusion is i think the place where not only in business but in society we really as a a human species have a lot of work to do how do we really build places teams groups communities causes action groups whatever that truly where where inclusion feels real um, and isn't paid lip service to so the the dance analogy really works for me it takes effort right even in the dance analogy there, there is there's a uh, an awareness, a mindfulness, a consciousness of uh, is there diversity here? 
and is there inclusion here and what does it look like for each of us because again every group is so different uh, there mm -hmm. may not be one definition for mm -hmm. any of these fields or how to practice them yeah absolutely and you know we we picked to have a conversational podcast not a training podcast so i guess we don't have to worry so much about do we have the perfect definition i guess it's do we have a good enough definition that makes sense to us so we can have the right conversation maybe over a hundred episodes the definition will <laughs> evolve <laughs> he says on episode two yes <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you you've kicked us off with a really good question you said um what is od i think was the first part of the conversation or the the, com the, the conversation so we've had a go at defining some stuff and this second question you gave us was um, how does it rehumanize re the workplace? Was that it? That's it. And it's tricky. So it, I guess, is a question worth asking. I'm not sure even, frankly, where to begin on. Does OD rehumanize the workplace? Or I think we worded it as how does OD mm. rehumanize the workplace? Maybe we have to start with this rehumanize word and chat about that for a moment. I guess the separation or the distinction I might make is an industrialized workplace in comparison to a humanized workplace. Uh, viewing people, treating people, treating groups and teams and processes and approaches and strategy as a problem to be solved. We just need to break it down, put it into its pieces, and each person do their their part, and therefore things are working. I think that's more of an industrial view, whereas the human view I don't know, help me with this, Priya. It's something about bringing the whole, the, the full human with thoughts, feelings, emotions, body, sensations, the, the human experience into shared accomplishments, shared uh, progress. I, 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 when you're talking, what's coming back up for me is this yoga analogy. Um, you know, am I, am I moving? Um, you know, in, in an industrial um, sense. So, you know, mechanically, can I move? Um, and am I moving in the most efficient way? And there are plenty of workplaces and plenty of times in human history where efficiency and productivity was were key. They were the, you know, the, the golden, you know, prizes to go after. Now, I think we're entering into a state, you know, a stage of human evolution and business practice where culture, you know, engagement, uh, perceptions of fairness, perceptions of inclusion, are becoming far, far, you know, much more, much more personal and important to people. And as that increases, I think humanized, you know, a more humanized workplace is a workplace that focuses on culture and people, not just for productivity and efficiency and profit, um, you know, but also to create meaningful work. And I, th I think it's the word meaningful. A, a humanized workplace for me is one where is where the work is recognized as having meaning for the individual and businesses are investing in that. Um, you know, for me, when I've worked in a humanized workplace, very much the phrase that comes to me is I can bring who I am to what I do. You know, that feeling and it's a really, you know, intangible inner feeling but can I bring who I am to what I do and if I can that's an indication for me that I'm working in a in a for a company that really values the human experience of work who I am and making meaning I've also heard making sense or sense making meaning making and decision making as sort of three key areas for 
rehumanizing and we did the the question we asked is rehumanizing the workplace in this moment i might actually expand it and say rehumanize civilization there's something about the current events and the demographics of the world there's something going on either collectively unconscious or just current time and space in the world that could also i think benefit from these conversations we're having absolutely absolutely which is i guess where we're pitching it at we're not just going for people in the workplace right we're trying to help the world have more real conversations and i i guess that's why defining these different schools of thoughts under this implied behavioral sciences banner is important because each one of them is a different or lends itself to a different mindset or lends itself to a different frame uh through which you can see the world whether that's through a coaching sense an organizational development sense or a km sense they're like different lenses and i guess any workplace or team or group wanting to kind of work in this way they're just different lenses to help you get the work done or or view the team and have different awareness levels so can i look at my group through a dni lens diversity inclusion can i look at it through a km lens can i look at it through an organizational development lens Um, and and what do i see through that lens well said (laughs) so do we think is what else feels important to say well we started with a check-in shall we do a check out uh yeah do you want to go first do you want me to go first sure either way i'm thinking um checkout so what is a checkout similar to a check-in although in this case in a checkout kind of way in od we often talk about units of work so we open and close units of work and there is a, a psychological aspect to opening and closing things so if i were to try and close this unit of work for us i've enjoyed it i feel like we were we added a few things and got them captured here i enjoyed the conversation i was listening and sitting on the edge of my chair the whole time. So to me, I'm, again, just happy and content and glad that we're diving in and recording these episodes. Um, Yeah, ready to see where it heads. Uh, So for me, equally, I enjoyed it. I I checked in and said I was feeling quite self-conscious after episode one, and somehow in the conversation I got into it and I seemed to let go. I, 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 I feel like I forgot to be self-conscious which is a which is a good thing <laughs> uh which is a nice thing actually i'm also sitting here going the kind of inner monologue in my head is just what i hope we've done is almost built um or started to give shape to the map that we will cover over each season and each episode so i hope we've given the kind of interesting monuments that we'll walk around and and dig into in more detail so I'm, I kind of have, have this feeling of hope that uh, if you've listened to episode one, you're joining us for episode two, it's starting to take a bit of shape. Um, not not fully formed yet, but it's starting to take a bit of shape because that, that's how it feels to me every time we record. So that feels like a good place to bring us to a close. Thank you so much for listening. This is Questions Worth Asking and it's goodbye from just north of London in Biggleswade. And it's goodbye from the Washington, D.C. area. Thanks for joining us. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for being with us. Until next time, it's your turn to ask the questions worth asking.